This week's show is sponsored by Illumio, whose breakthrough adaptive segmentation technology stops lateral threats inside of any data center and cloud. Check out their website for details at illumio.com slash datanauts. Our thanks to Liquid Technology for sponsoring the Datanauts today. Liquid Technology purchases decommissioned IT hardware, provides secure on- and off-site data destruction, as well as fully compliant and green e-waste recycling solutions for your organization. Visit them at liquidtechnology.net slash podcast. The Datanauts Dreadnought Class Battlecruiser is a complex ship made up of many different systems that work together in harmony. Oh, it would be nigh impossible to put your hands on every system to manually configure and triage complications. As such, we expect our red-shirted crew members to have dual understanding of both engineering and automation. But they don't just board the ship with this knowledge, it takes experience, time, and dedication to learning. Fortunately, we've beamed aboard one such professional who has gone through the journey of learning to make APIs in various coding languages do her bidding for network automation and is willing to share the secrets of life, the universe, and everything. Howdy, I'm Chris Wall. You can follow me at Chris Wall. And with me is my co-host who was featured on the cover of this spring's Nerdcore Monthly Magazine. That's Ethan Banks at EC Banks on the Twitters. And this is the Data Nuts Podcast. You can find this and all of our shows on iTunes, in your favorite podcatcher, or at packofpushers.net. Ethan, it's been a while since we've had a, a chance to sit down and record something. How are you doing? Are you still on life support, various conference crud, etc.? I was just very excited to find out I was going to be on the cover of this spring's Nerdcore Monthly, because if that was true, it means it means I've made it. That would be yeah. fabulous. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. We'll dive right into it. I would like to introduce our guest, Lauren Malhoyt. Welcome to the show. Who are you? What do you do? And welcome. Thanks so much, Chris. I'm so happy to be here. I've been a longtime listener from, I think, the very first episode of Data Knots. I am a technologist slash co-host of Cisco TechWise TV. So I work at Cisco. And my Twitter handle is at Malhoyt. And apparently you've listened to more of the shows than we have. Is, <laughs> That's we what send I you a trophy hear. of some sort. <laughs> like, like, like something to depict pain in a gold trophy format. I am a hardcore podcast listener, so I listen to probably 40 or 50 a week. Wow. Yeah. I don't do That's, much else. Do you also go to a support group for podcast listening? <laughs> I probably should. There's probably a few support groups I should belong to, but don't. Well, switching gears just a little bit, I wanted to give you the chance to plug what I think is really awesome. You've got some courses that are both audio and visual on Pluralsight covering programmability for ACI and integration with vSphere and Tell us a little bit about those. We have links in the show notes, but I just want to plug them because I thought the content was really good. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. I have been working at Cisco for almost three years now. And before I just started this new job at Cisco a couple months ago with TechWise, I concentrated on Cisco ACI as a technical marketing engineer. So I have had a lot of time with ACI and figured why not just double down and start making some Pluralsight courses. They're each, you know, they're the fundamentals, there's VMware integration and a programmability course. And they're all pretty short. They're only an hour and a half. I really try to, it dives into the tech. There are demos, there's all of that, but I try not to get too much in the weeds with the nerd knobs. It's supposed to be for people really trying to familiarize themselves with it. Also, what I liked was that the course material was a bit more of the non-traditional ops, like the ops eye for the dev person. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but you had RESTful APIs and Python and scripting. And I was like, oh, this is cool. We need more of this in the world. 
So, Kenny, you know, just setting the stage, if you're looking for that kind of content, that's my personal takeaway that I liked about it because it was a bit of a mixture of you typically get a more software and code centric person looking into the infrastructure world and their mm-hmm. terms for infrastructure may be like a database or something. They're not typically talking about switching in hardware and such. And yours is kind of the other way around, like your long experience in infrastructure and enterprise IT looking at programmability and code and things like that. So I, that's my personal thing that I liked about it. No, I appreciate that. And that's I'll take that as a compliment because I know you've been working on such things as well. And I don't come from that world. So it's it's been fun trying to decipher it and figure out what works and just apply it to what I already know. Been, it's been cool. Did you have a lot of experience with coding and so on before you got into building the courses? No. Well, I guess I should say, I mean, I went to college and had coding classes there and then didn't really touch it since. <laughs> I did some things with thinkful.com, one of those like places where you go and you you have a, like a mentored learning session every week and then you work on projects. So I did that for a few months even before this programmability course. I guess I've had some experience, but what I've learned is that if you don't have a real project in mind, it's really hard to get into it. And if that project is maybe too grand in scheme, it's time to start paring that down and taking smaller steps. Yeah, having a project in mind makes a huge difference for me. In fact, I'm in the same boat as you, where I went to college and all I did for four years was was code in various languages. Now, those languages are pretty old and most of them aren't used anymore because I'm old. But um, <laughs> I, You stole it. I was going to make that joke. Dang. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Now that I'm working on newer languages now, you know, Python and, and so on, I find if I have a project, I want to get this done in this language, that's a real motivator and really makes it possible to uh, dive in because then you've got a you've got a reason you've got this thing that's prodding you on to get it done as opposed to just the dry well i gotta learn this thing because this is the part where we learn about variable types you know bah. right and I, I don't discourage like a little bit of the foundation but i think you're absolutely right that uh it's almost as if you don't really know what you need to learn next why would i learn all of these things that i don't need yet when i have this project and i know that i need to learn looping for now, you know, something like that. So I think it even kind of guides your learning as well. I think that's great advice. Another question I had was around the processes and tools uh, as you're transitioning kind of towards that world of more DevOpsian focus. Was it a particular type of resource that you read or watched, like a, a white paper, a book, a video that, that helped you more than other? Any specific resources that you can say, aha, that was the one? Or Because I, I think everyone's different at at how they learn, you know, tactile and visual and audio mm-hmm. and things like that, as well as sometimes you just find a gem and you're like, this thing was amazing. What got me kind of into it was the using Postman really was kind of really interesting to me to figure out what the calls were, what the different methods and actions and how to access literally a part of your software. And you don't need to come up with this complicated coding or programming or scripting sort of body, I guess. You just need to come up with maybe one line that changes one thing. And that came in handy a few times, even learning VMware NSX or whatever. I I had shut myself out of vCenter by turning on security. You had to use the APIs to, to fix that, to get back in. And then, of course, with ACI, you can very easily figure out what your REST calls are going to be because you can copy and paste them from the software itself. 
that really kind of got me more interested in programming again. And then taking that to another level, using something like Python to include REST calls, because Python can include REST calls. So that makes it even more interesting and and more, I don't want to say complex, but more that you can do with it, I guess. I know a lot of this work that you've done, you've developed in the context of working for Cisco, working as a representative of the ACI product and so on. But what do you think the real world value is for maybe for you or maybe for other people who might go through this process? I mean, there's money, compensation, bonuses, that could be a thing. And maybe some of that happened to you or is there an opportunity for you know, new jobs if you get these kind of skills, these kind of things? I don't know that I can say that I got a job from having the skill. I did actually move to being a, a different job at Cisco. And part of it that was handy is that I have a better knowledge of programmability because you know the Cisco DevNet's kind of becoming very cool these days and they're doing a lot of neat stuff. So having that experience because we're planning a lot of DevNet shows, TechWise TV is, is basically like a TV show where we kind of showcase certain products or certain solutions. And so it did help from that point of view. So I guess it has helped me from from that point of view. I don't know that I'm making, you know, a ton of money from it or gaining any real life besides (laughs) having this new job. But, you know, I don't have like a data center of my own that I can apply it to. So, yeah, I think the knowledge has helped me, but not in maybe your traditional way. So there's no there's no Python command to just generate money. You haven't. <laughs> Not that I've, maybe I just haven't gotten that far in my. Load studies. the free money library. Come on, that's how you, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. I forgot <laughs> so, to import the library. And step one, I tell you, step three is profit. We all know that. But <laughs> so as you're working through, you know, things like Postman, which is a great abstraction for an API to it's like training wheels for APIs. I love it. Mm-hmm. What did you find fascinating? I assume as you as I or I think anybody dives into a tech or a solution. There's, oh, this is a different way of thinking, or this is something that I didn't think about before. And did you have any of those moments where you're like, oh, this is fascinating. I'm hooked. The Kool-Aid tastes so delicious. <laughs> Again, I would say it's how simple it can be. I think when people go into coding or programming, they, I never know which one to say, coding or programming. Like programming sounds so nerdy to me, but I don't know like <laughs> which one to say. But anyway, just the simplicity of it. You know, it, it reminds me of like playing the bass guitar or a banjo or something. And it, anyone can play those instruments. Like you pick it up and you practice for 20 minutes, you can play it. You're not necessarily playing it well, but you can play it. And I think Postman and other such kind of REST clients can enable you to, to play it. You know, again, you're, you're not changing the world yet or anything like that, but it allows you to do something that is productive and useful without too much effort. And I think that's key to motivation and key to seeing it. You know, it's like weight loss. Well, I lost five pounds this week, so I kind of want to keep doing this. No, that's interesting because typically that's the fear is that it's not easy. People don't want to go into it because it's complex and scary and whatnot. And you're saying, no, literally it's the opposite. This is straightforward. Once you get into it, it's no big deal. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's going to take some practice to do it well, but you can start doing it today. (laughs) I like the analogy of uh, playing the bass guitar, the banjo, and yeah, anybody (laughs) can pick it up and, you know, after 20 minutes, you can be making some noises. Might not be great, but but yeah, you can can get something out of it. So having had that experience a little bit myself, 
In your travels here and learning these new skills, did anything you, as you dug into it, did it come off as shocking or just highly revealing and you were like, wow, you know, and things came together and really, uh, really stuck with you? Part of what's revealing, you really see how things are put together, kind of, that everything, every object, let's say, or class, everything you click on, every weird term we use is a part of the code, you know, and that's kind of neat to, to, I mean, you know that, you know that someone's coding this and making it all work, right? But do you, you don't really think about it while you're using the software itself. And so that's really neat to be able to manipulate things that other people have created. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's revelatory or just me like learning common sense, but it's, it's pretty cool how you could do that. You can eat a piece of sausage or you can see how the sausage is made. When you see when it's made, some of the magic goes away. And then as you begin to, you know, the next time you consume a sausage, you look at it and go, oh, I I saw how this was made. And this, all of this, this thing that didn't really, it was just this obtuse thing that I ate and enjoyed. Now I can see the bits and parts and the spices and the, you know, the meat and the fat and all the things that go into it and make it what it is. And whether that's good or not. Whether yeah. that's good or not. Yeah, I don't know. But. <laughs> exactly. One of the points Lauren made that I thought was really helpful is if you've got a specific problem to solve, that can really motivate you to learn the code you need to learn to get it done. And it might be that that first attempt you make to write it to solve that problem is super ugly and not really taking advantage of the language the way you will later on down the road as you solve other problems. But that problem, I want to get X done, is the thing you need to latch on to that gives you that that motivation to dig in and, and find examples and uh, write your own code to get it solved. Because then you fix something that you needed fixed and it feels amazing when you've written a script that does that thing and makes your life so much better. What about you, Chris? I think Lauren hit the nail right on the head with the discussion around scope for your work. You have to scope out what you want to do. You obviously need a problem to solve, as you point out. But you need to scope that correctly. You know, I, I give the example, you wouldn't learn every word in the English dictionary just to write a letter to your grandma. That wouldn't make sense, right? So determine the end state goal, work towards it, and pare it down if it's just too grand to accomplish. I'd like to introduce you to our sponsor today, Illumio. Segmentation is the best way to prevent the lateral spread of cyber threats, but traditional network segmentation, you know, VLANs and subnets and zones, etc., They only provide some isolation because the primary purpose is to boost network performance, not to provide granular internal security. Now, let's look at the Illumio approach, adaptive segmentation technology. That is designed to stop lateral threats. It works seamlessly between any data center in the public cloud, and it keeps policies in place as applications move between environments and locations, and it can auto-scale up and down. Using Illumio, enterprises such as Morgan Stanley, Plantronics, Salesforce, and King Entertainment have achieved application micro-segmentation, a 90% reduction in firewall rules, and finally have visibility into all of their application dependencies. Find out more about Illumio by going to www.illumio.com slash datanauts. Lauren, one thing we've brought up several times on the Datanaut show and, and on and actually on packet pushes in general is uh, whether or not IT professionals need to learn to code. So what is your take on this? I mean, we have a lot of infrastructure kind of people, people that tend to configure things maybe more than code. So is coding, in your point of view, a need, a want, nice to have, somewhere in between? 
I think it's somewhere in between. This reminds me of my old boss, Joe Anasik's slide deck. He had a slide that showed Netflix and he would show it to network engineers and say, hey, would you rather have DevOps or no ops? Because, you know, Netflix is kind of famous for doing their, it's all programmers, essentially. And, you know, whether or not that's totally true remains to be seen or whatever. But I do think that's an interesting way of putting things. Do you want it all to just be in the cloud and all coded? Or what's the best way of doing this? I also read something today from Jason Edelman about, do you want to program always? And I'm not phrasing it exactly right, but he he was basically saying, you know, learn an orchestration tool or an automation tool. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel unless you have to. And then if you have to, coding, programming comes in very handy, right? So I definitely at least ride on nice to have, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, him and uh, Matt Oswald have yeah. done some great things on the web at describing, because they, they're kind of in that kind of hybrid role like yourself, where they've mm-hmm. got one leg in infrastructure, one leg in kind of code and in various degrees. And I guess that kind of brings me to a point. Why Python, though? That seems like a really popular language is it because so much pre-existing work is there that you can kind of monopolize upon it? For me, that was a big part of it. Python, it seems especially with the ops folks, at least, Python is pretty huge. And I think part of it is because it's one of the easier languages to learn. It's very close to being, you know, a script. It, or it, it, Well, Python scripts are what they are, but they have a little more complexity than just creating some sort of like batch file or something. It's pretty flexible. It works with a lot of other things. Like I said, you can make REST calls from a Python script. You can do a lot of the front-end stuff with websites even. I know I, I, I don't do that, but you know, you work with Flask and a bunch of other things. And then, of course, the back-end with various databases. It works with pretty much everything you might need in order to manipulate your operations it's like more powerful than just a basic scripting language, but not mm-hmm. to the depth of, oh gosh, I got to compile this thing and right. you know, write all these helper files and whatnot. And it sounds like it can be used across solutions more than just kind of what you've shown in your Pulsite course and in the environments that you're in. I guess that would be handy, right? Because then you learn it once and you can apply it in multiple places. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And I see Python, yeah, not just for networking, for a lot of things, even yeah, website development. It works, of course, on your Mac or PC, so it doesn't matter which side of the religion you rest on there. I'm just going to let that one go by. I'm just not even going <laughs> to latch onto that. Nope, is it nope. fun? Did you find it fun to learn? Like, is it really cryptic and syntax, like syntax jail, or is it not bad? Uh, no, it's, it's not bad at all. Like Ethan pointed out, it's got your variables, it's got your looping infrastructures, it's got all of the things that coding languages have that you just need to learn. It's fairly like reading English language rather than some old... I like I can't even think of the words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, oh, like, the or, period's in the wrong place, I won't compile, and I'm not exactly. going to tell you what's wrong. Have fun. Yeah, <laughs> or like assembly, where it's like, go to this and you know, repeat a million times because it's all assembly line code. <laughs> I think it is pretty, pretty simple to learn, especially like I said, in that like banjo analogy, it's pretty simple to write your first Python script, even beyond the hello world, which the hello world is kind of fun because that's always the first thing they teach you. But at the same time, it's not useful in any way. So it's like kind of anticlimactic in my opinion. <laughs> 
what's the strategy you'd recommend for for a, a layman, someone who's not programmed before? How would you recommend that they start with a new language? Because we got to put a little context around this, Lauren, because there's I think there's two kinds of folks that might approach this. You and I both have backgrounds in programming because that's how we were trained in college. And so even if we've never seen a, a particular language, we kind of know, again, variables and looping structures and all of these sorts of things that come into play. But someone who's cold maybe hasn't been there before. So what would you recommend to folks that maybe don't even have the advantage that we have? Would you just you know hammer out syntax until something works or you know maybe the problem approach that we were talking about earlier? Find a problem you're trying to solve, work on that, or you know maybe there's something else you have in mind. I think the problem approach definitely is a way to go because not only do you not know maybe variables and looping structures and all of that, maybe you don't even know which language to start with. And that can be daunting in and of itself before you even start coding, start learning those basics. Which program language do I use? And if you're not familiar at all, that can just paralyze you, right? So I think if you start with a particular problem and you start researching that problem, for instance, if it is an ops issue that you, or maybe not a problem, but you know, an ops challenge that you want to take on, likely Python's going to be pretty pretty popular and you're going to go see you just google it and you'll find that there's a lot of information out there regarding this challenge in python or powershell or something like that python's a nice place to start too in that it takes care of so many things for you and there's so many libraries out there that make things even easier that if you're just getting started you just want things to work that's there's so much there that you can take advantage of without you having to reinvent the wheel so to speak yeah yeah i totally agree and postman go make some rest calls to learn what you actually want to uh, do, you know, to learn just rest calls. I think that like Chris said earlier, and I think it's perfectly phrased was the idea of having training wheels for these rest calls. Hmm. And again, rest calls from a Python standpoint, there's a few different libraries out there, you know, pick one that you, that works for you, that someone's maintaining that uh, can help you with making that rest call, getting the data back and then uh, putting it into a dictionary or a list or something like that so that you can then work with that data. But there's, I mean, it, those libraries make it as easy as, you know, a line or two to do a rest call and get an answer back. So again, the, the barrier of entry with Python is you know, very low. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. And I think that just start simple. Don't try to boil the ocean the first time. Just start with something very simple. Or if you have a big big problem that you're trying to solve, then break it down into small steps and and don't get flustered. I mean, luckily now there is just a lot of code out there and things like GitHub that you can reference to kind of get ideas of where you need to go and what you need to do. There's a lot of people out there that are doing DevOps, so it, it might be a little easier than it was 10 years ago even. So, but just, yeah, don't get flustered and keep hacking away at it. Yeah, that's actually a good point that hadn't come up yet is if you're new to coding, there's always somewhere to start in the form of people that have published their code on GitHub or or other places, but GitHub, where you can download and look at it and just crank through it and try to figure out what's going on and how it works. So you've got this reference point to start from. Millions of lines of code available to you that if you you wish to uh, review, you can and get a good sense of uh, how to get something done. And even use them and try to understand them enough so that you can tweak them for your, let's say, test environment, hopefully, and <laughs> and use the scripts themselves, you know, and that, that'll help you understand. Oh, that that's 
standard operating procedure. Everybody does that. Find a bit of code that someone else wrote, you know, assuming it's open source and you can do that. And then, right, just tweak it a little bit to make it work for you and what you need. Everybody reuses code in that way. It's a normal thing. It's what it's there for. So, Lauren, you focus pretty heavily on networking, obviously, in your writing and courses. Now that you've taken away your skills with REST APIs and Python and whatnot, do you feel that that you can apply that directly to, I'm going to say full stack, but, you know, the other areas of the data center, you know, deeper in automation and code beyond the network stack personally? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, while I've been at Cisco for three years, I was really more of a full stack engineer to begin with before as a customer and and as a channel partner. And I still feel like I know way more about like virtualization and, and servers and stuff than networking. I don't know if that's true or not anymore, honestly. But the beauty of programmability is that it doesn't matter which part of the ops team you're working with. It all applies. Actually, my second week at Cisco, there was a guy he couldn't have been more than 19 years old, maybe 20. And he was interning with us and he was a coder. Part of my job that week was to just teach him how the data center works. You know, like the three pillars that your compute, your networking and your storage and teach him how it works and teach him how firewalls, you know, are in the mix and how traffic gets in and out. I mean, we spent probably four hours total on it, maybe a little more. And this kid would just then create all of this code and post it on GitHub. And I was like, that's magic. Like, I don't (laughs) understand how he's doing this without a lick of just the quick tutorial I gave him. But I think absolutely you can apply it to anything at that point. Well, just goes to show, right? I did a presentation on this recently about the journey to full stack engineering. It was like, you know, for a long time, I felt my value was the ability to click through wizards and understand what buttons to press and what not to mm-hmm. press. And you're saying, you know, with a, with a very light level of knowledge transfer, someone automated that. Like, it's if that's a not scary. a wake-up call, I don't know what is. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a little scary. And obviously that's not going to exist at every company or whatever, but it is, yeah, this 19-year-old kid with not much experience just in life or in tech in general. Probably had been coding, though, for 10 years or something, and just kind of figured it out and went for it. So, I mean, it's interesting to come at it from the other side. I wonder what that would have been like for me to be a developer and if I had gone the other way, you know. I'm sure everyone kind of thinks about that, but how easy it was for him to pick up. Now, obviously, he doesn't understand the nuances of network design and data center design and all of that, but pretty cool how he could just go write scripts real quick to create things and automate whatever. It kind of speaks to the slow but growing maturity of a lot of the tooling that's out there and our ability to interact programmatically with what's with our infrastructure. Now, you've mentioned REST APIs, which I think is a big part of that tooling. Maybe you can expand on that. Why do you think RESTful APIs particularly are important? As opposed to, I guess, what we've been doing, Chris talking about you know, banging on configuration wizards or you know, the command line, you know, that kind of thing. Well, part of it, I think the... The RESTful APIs in and of themselves are interesting because they are standardized, right? And that gives us the ability to learn that standard and take it elsewhere with us, whether you know we want to be more of a full-stack engineer, whether we want to get a new job, things like that. I think from a career perspective, it's... A- you know, standardized as, as in, if you once you understand REST as a, as a method, a way to go ahead and ask a question and get back an answer, you, you mean standardized in that sense? 
standardized in that sense of standardized in the sense of, you know, the clients you can use to access it, some of the, yeah, the calls, things like that. So it doesn't have to be a RESTful API. It could be someone's own like homebred the way they wanted to do it type of thing, you know? Okay. But we've got that. It's a standard tool. And I mean, do you see that as the, the new way we're going to be interacting with our infrastructure as opposed to the, the wizards and the CLIs? I think that it's definitely gaining popularity. It's going to be helpful in breaking down silos because of orchestration tools that kind of integrate all of the pillars of infrastructure. Again, you know, I go back to Jason's advice of, you know, use a tool when you can 80% of the time and use programmability when you have to 20% of the time. So I think it will be helpful. I think that it's going to just continue to gain popularity. And of course, you know, our tools are using the APIs as well. So it's not like we're not using the APIs when we're using orchestration tools in a lot of cases. So I, I think that maybe it is going to become more and more popular. I think it's important to make sure that whatever software you choose, that it has open APIs so that you can have this flexibility. I think that will become increasingly important, or it has already become increasingly important. I mean, you see vendors kind of fighting over and telling people, hey, you got to look for these open APIs. We have open APIs, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and by open, you mean you mean what? Documented and, you know, referenceable so you kind of know what all the calls are and, and you have access to them. Exactly. N not open as in they necessarily have been given away to the world, but, you know, but open as in you can use them. Exactly. Yeah, right, not open many of them are private. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like unless you work there. I, I mean, even VMware has been notorious about that. They have their private ones that we don't know or don't have access to. And mm -hmm. private could also mean that you need some kind of token or authentication that only support or someone internal to the company has. So there's there's different levels of private, but I definitely agree open means I, I can see it, I can use it, I don't have to be anyone special to do anything with it. I don't have to pay mm -hmm. a special license to be, you know, part of the partner program to use the API. It's just, hey, it's there, go nuts. I can Google for it if I need to. Don't forget to take advantage of all the pre-existing work out there on the web. You know, I think it's kind of a silent value add, but there's a lot of real value in being able to find examples and help and just the community itself. And so, for example, Python, you know, there's a lot of people and a lot of content out there that can be used, which allows you to not just sit around reinventing the wheel, but download and steal. What about you, Ethan? <laughs> I liked it when Lauren made the point that APIs break down silos. Of course, we're... Uh, about silo busting on this show, that's a, that's why Data Knots exists, is to bring everybody together. And yeah, if you start using APIs to access your infrastructure, and everyone's using APIs to access infrastructure, now you've got a point of commonality about how you get things done, rather than 15 different ways to configure different parts of the infrastructure. If everybody's using APIs, then th there's an interesting overlap on the Venn diagram that uh, that everybody can share and, and make things common. You Now, tasks to uh, achieve a certain infrastructure goal can be, be shared rather than it being so siloed up. So a great point Lauren made there. Our Data Not sponsor today, Liquid Technology, asks the following. Do you have decommissioned IT equipment just sitting in your data center or office? Is your company planning an upgrade, cloud migration, or relocation? Liquid Technology can help. They will de-rack. Pack and purchase your excess technology hardware. Increase your budget by getting money back for your excess IT equipment. 
Liquid Technology will ensure your end-of-life IT equipment is safe. They provide on- or off-site auditable data destruction services. Whether your operations are in Tulsa or Tokyo, Liquid Technology has expert knowledge in local regulations to deliver a compliant global solution to your company. If you are concerned about the environment, note that Liquid Technology is an EPA-recognized, dual-certified green recycler. Don't let your assets depreciate in power-down racks or storage rooms. Gain that space back and maximize the return of your excess technology. Visit liquidtechnology.net slash podcast today for a chance to win a $300 Amazon gift card. That's liquidtechnology.net slash podcast. All right, got a lot of background on why you're writing code for your courses, the DevOps focus that you have, coding debates, things like, you know, should you be a full-stack developer or whatnot. Let's scratch the nerd knob itch here. Talk about some tools and techniques. Uh, we talked about a little bit earlier the idea of Postman. I think it's a cool tool. And Lauren, I'd love for you to tell us more about it. You know, what is it? Why did you use it for REST calls? And where can people get it? So yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, Google is actually who creates Postman. So you can just download it for free at uh, getpostman.com. And I think there even is like maybe a paid version with more stuff. But you, really, the free version is all you need, especially to get started. It allows you to just easily click a drop down and select whether you want to post, whether you want to get, update, all the different methods you could possibly use. Gives you a space for your URL and then gives you a space for what you actually want to do or the body of it. And then once you create that, or maybe once you get it from GitHub or download it somewhere and get it yourself, you can save it in a collection. I think Ethan kind of referenced that too. So you don't have to constantly keep creating it right once you've created it once you just save it and then tweak it to you know give things a different name or whatever you want to do if you're creating something and you want to create it multiple times or if you want to run kind of that looping structure that we were talking about there's even a runner tool that you can you know just import a .csv or .xl or whatever and have it you know name all of your switches or something like that give ip addresses to all your switches things like that uh, it's it's just so easy that it's uh, it's nice. And what about for those that are probably sitting back and saying, "But, but why not just dive into the code? This is extra work, rage, you know, like, <laughs> you know, this feels like an extra layer." What would your answer be to that? Uh, and maybe for those guys, it is guys and gals. Sorry, maybe I should say that too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was trying to be balanced on the other way. So my point to them would be: I think Postman is a great tool for. Maybe some simple things where you're not, I mean, you can do multiple actions within one post, of course, but maybe that's when you kind of want to get into some error checking with Python and stuff like that. But if I'm just doing one thing, this is a pretty easy way to do it and also just get started. So Mm. I think that's, there are probably coders out there that would just prefer to code then by all means. But to get started, I definitely recommend Postman. What are some of the tools that you use for your ACI courses? Can you describe, uh, you know, whatever those tools are, what they do, if they're specific to a solution or if maybe other stacks have them and use them? Love your recommendations here. Yeah, so these are pretty much ACI specific because ACI was kind of built with this programmability in mind. So we have a tool called Visore, which allows you to just access your controller, you know, the built-in or not the built-in controller, but the controller that you have with ACI and just get the class names for everything or the objects for the managed objects is what we call it. But if I want to create a tenant, I can go find the information on what a tenant is called in a Rust call uh, using Visore. 
that can be daunting too, because maybe you are just getting started and you need to know a bit more information about what to include in maybe your Rust call or in your Python script. So you can use what we call the API inspector. And again, this is just included with the controller, what we call the APIC. And you just click on API inspector, you turn it on, and it looks like a logging tool. So it literally just logs everything that you do from a GUI perspective. So if I want to, for example, create a tenant in the GUI, I go ahead and create that. And then in the API inspector, I go look for what was posted because that's the only creation I've done. I posted something and it will give me the exact, first of all, location, the URL that I need to put in Postman or put in my REST call. And then it actually gives me the body. And I just copy and paste that into my my body of Postman or whatever REST client you're using. There are other ones too. Okay, so so API inspector is kind of, it sounds like it's, not intercepting, but watching an actual call go by and then breaking it down into fields for you so that you know, okay, I've done this in whatever method you called it from the GUI or whatever. There it is. Now I know from my code or for my code how to leverage that because there's the method, there's the different fields. And as you said, there's the body. And now I can use that as my building blocks to make my own call. And if you said you were using get postman as a tool, but if I was just writing it straight into my code, I could use it that way. Yep, exactly. And it's just all written for you. And again, that goes back to learning it too. If I learn what it looks like, I might be able to more easily create these on my own too. But again, that was a Cisco specific tool that you have? Yeah, it is. It's an ACI specific tool. Okay. Okay. Sure. So yeah, you know, if you don't have ACI, I apologize. These won't do much for you, but... Oh, burn. uh, No, I'm kidding. I know. (laughs) Not really a burn, just, you know, I don't know the other tools. I feel sorry for you, son. I got 99 (laughs) problems, but not having ACI is not one. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, something along those lines. (laughs) I didn't mean to derail you. Yeah, what other tools have you got? There's a third tool that I think is pretty cool too, especially for someone just getting started, maybe wanting to learn Python, and it's called ARIA. And I always forget what ARIA stands for. It's something ridiculous, like the ACI, something. They just really like Game of Thrones and wanted ARIA to be the, that thing. There you go. <laughs> it's something like that. But it is a cool tool that you can download a REST call or some JSON or XML. We didn't really get into that, but you know, your the body is going to be made up either of JSON or XML formatted language. That differs depending on what you like. But at any rate, you just download this code, I guess, JSON language, whatever. And you can take that maybe from the API inspector, maybe from whatever other REST calls you can make. Maybe you just know how to make REST calls. You want to be able to make Python script out of it. So to literally, you just, it's an open source program that you can just get from GitHub, install it on your computer locally, and convert JSON or XML into an entire Python script. So I have a very serious, in-depth, highly okay. political question here. Uh-huh. And this, I think this will be our, our closing question for the show. Uh, XML versus JSON versus YAML. <laughs> Where are you at in that spectrum? Is why, and why does everyone love this guy named JSON so much? I know. It, it is so hard to say like JSON every time. Yeah, I guess I followed the JSON camp, but Yay. not for any particular reason, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just because that's what Cisco kind of drives toward. There's a lot of YAML, too. Uh, a lot of use of YAML. If you go to GitHub and you look at our GitHub stuff, there's always a YAML file included. I don't 
know why X about. I honestly don't have. Do you have an answer? What is the? Uh... Oh, maybe I can give you my two cents. XML is harder to read. JSON YAML is easier to read from a human perspective. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so one person. So, so Lauren, you're you're basically just following the the pack. Yeah, Ethan wants. Just Ethan's longer. just lazy, and uh, <laughs> I guess no one would pick XML. Like that feels like wrong answer. So, okay. <laughs> it's I'm glad a little that... older. Well, yeah. So, Ethan, why don't you like XML? <laughs> it's all about readability, buddy. That was an actual bird. Okay. okay. Uh, Lauren, I really appreciate you being on the show. I think we've, we've tickled a lot of knowledge out of your noodle. For those that want to engage with you further after the show, where can they find you on the interwebs to uh, you know, talk to you more? Always on Twitter at Malhoit. I am uh, happy to respond to you there. And of course, if you want to watch TechWise TV, you can either go to Cisco.com to find it or it's on YouTube as well. Pretty much if you just put it in your Google search and search for TechWise TV, it'll pop up. Absolutely. We've got links to all of those delicious resources in the show notes. And with that, I'd like to thank you all for listening today. If you're a social creature, you could follow me. I'm at Chris Wall on the Twitters, and my blog is wallnetwork.com or my delightful friend, Mr. Nerdcore himself, Ethan. He's at ECBanks on the Twitters, and his blog is ethancbanks.com. For more of our Data Not shows about infrastructure engineering, do a nosedive down the rabbit hole that is packetpushers.net. You're going to find us talking about containers and conferences, certification, PowerShell, Python, you name it. We've got it. Until then, may your server lights blink, your storage spindle spin, and your cables be cleanly managed. people hammering in the background oh sorry that's probably me no 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 my, my house not yours oh because i, don't I have hammering too